The following is a continuation of the previous episode. Welcome to the Yellow Balloons podcast, a collection of teachings to help you navigate the transformational possibilities of a God-centered perspective. We pray these insights from scripture will inspire and encourage you. In this episode, we explore two more New Testament parables about money, the unjust steward and the rich man and Lazarus. Much of these parables deal with the issue of time, immediate gratification versus delayed gratification. Giving without expectation does not pay now, but it will pay later. There are four ways to bless others using money. Creating jobs, experiences, partnerships, and hospitality. The Bible implores us to serve God, not money. When we serve God, money is downgraded to a resource that can be used towards greater ends. Then he turns to the disciples who've been listening to all this to make a point to them. And he does the parable of the unrighteous steward, which I've gone on here numerous, numerous times, but it's so out of our paradigm, it's always worth going over again. And he says, there's a certain rich man, chapter 16, verse 1, who had a steward. Accusation brought to him. The man was wasting his goods. So he says, calls him and says, your stewardship's over. If I find out this is true, the steward knows it's true. So he says within him, what shall I do? My master is taking the stewardship from me. I know I'm going to get caught in this audit. I cannot dig. Too weak. I'm ashamed to beg. I've resolved what to do. So that when I'm put out of the stewardship, they will receive me into their houses. This is the key phrase in the parable. They will receive me into their houses. He's concerned about having a livelihood because he's going to get fired from his job. Once he's been fired from the job for being a thief, he's not going to get another steward job. At least in that culture, in our culture, it seems to be that not, not that unusual. Uh, so he says, I'm going to do something that is going to make people invite me into their houses. So here's what he does. He calls his, all of his master's debtors and he says, the first, how much do you owe my master? A hundred measures of oil. Take down your bill and write 50. Says to another, how much do you owe? A hundred measures of wheat. He says, take down your bill and write 80. So the master found out about this and he commended the unjust steward who he's going to fire because of his shrewdness. Because that was really shrewd. It was a shrewd thing to take my money and ingratiate yourself so that the people who you've benefited are going to invite you into their homes. Middle Eastern culture, if you do something for someone, they're indebted to pay you back. And he has done something amazing for people and he's fully expecting he's going to be cared for for the rest of his life as a result. And the, and the master says, well, that scoundrel, that was pretty sharp. He is a shrewd cat. And that's the end of the parable. And then Jesus turns to these disciples who just heard the Pharisees complain about the sinners. And he heard, well, 1% of your assets you lose, you're going to care about them, but I care about the people more. And 10% of your assets you lose them, you're going to care about them, but I care about the people more. And your enterprise, you have it divided and threatened. You're going to care about that. I care about the people more. And then he turns to, to the uh, disciples and he says, 
um, I'm going to teach you something about how to be shrewd. Because this guy was commended for being shrewd. He's a crook, but he's a shrewd one. So how do you be shrewd? So the master, verse 8, commended the unjust steward because he had dwelt shrewdly. Then Jesus has a comment, for the sons of this world are more shrewd in their generations than the sons of light. Okay, you can take a lesson from the world, these, these sordid worldly people about shrewdness. Let's, let's learn something from them. So I say to you, Jesus says to the disciples, make friends for yourselves with money that when you fail, your stewardship, they may receive you into an everlasting home. He's just got through made the point that I care for these sinners more than you care for one percent of your assets. I care for these sinners more than if you than you care for ten percent of your assets. I care for these sinners more and the and the relationship with the people more than losing a big percent of your enterprise. And then he tells the disciples, I want you to pilfer my money. Because who owns all the money in the world? God. God's clearly the, the master in this parable. Who are the stewards? Anyone he's given it to. And he says, the sons of this generation understand reciprocity. They understand, you grease my palm, I'll grease yours. They understand, you give me a campaign donation, you get the bill that gives you a monopoly. They understand you give me a campaign donation, I'll give you a casino license. Okay? They understand you take me out to an expensive hunting trip and I'll give you the ticket for the job. They understand that if you give, you expect to receive. They understand that. They understand reciprocity. They understand if I give you a little um, uh, piece of uh, cheese at Sam's, you may buy the cheese. Right? Everybody understands this in this generation. But you guys don't. You don't get it. And if you'll use my money to pilfer it to benefit other people, it'll actually pay big, but not now. Well, why doesn't it pay big now? Well, let's just skip ahead a little. And after we get to this through, through the money passages, the very next a parable that Jesus tells in chapter 17 is about 10 lepers. 10 lepers, and he cleanses the lepers. And in verse 14, he says to them, go show yourselves to the priest. And they went and they were cleansed. They went and verified that they have been healed. And one of them, when he saw he was healed, returned and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. And this guy was a Samaritan. And Jesus answered and said, weren't there 10 that were cleansed? Where are the nine? And why was no one found to return to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to the foreigner, arise, go your way, your faith has made you well. I have a good friend who does an immense amount of ministry stuff. And he told me one time, I found this is about right. About one in 10 people that you do something for is grateful. The other nine are entitled. The only thing they have to say to you is, why didn't I get more? 
what are you going to do for me now? If you do something for somebody, it's unlikely that they'll invite you into your home now. Now, if they're in the world, they might, because this cycle of give, get, give, get, give, get goes until somebody kills the other one or somebody goes to jail or you lose your ability to do something for somebody, in which case you're out of the cycle now. But when you give without requiring anything in return, most of the time you just get dumped on. But what Jesus is telling us here is we need to see beyond just this generation because we want to be shrewd. And when our stewardship's over, we want to see benefit from the stewardship because money is a means to an end and people matter more than money. And then Jesus says at the end of the, of the stewardship, uh, the unrighteous steward parable, then he says, I say to you, make for yourself friends by unrighteous mammon, verse 9, that when you fail, they may receive you into the everlasting home. If you're faithful to me, the master, and what is least, which is all money, all money's not much to God. I mean, he can print. If our government prints money, it dilutes the value of it, but God can make money all he wants to. It doesn't mean anything to him. It's just, it's just a means of teaching. It's a means to an end, teaching. If you're faithful in a little, you're going to be faithful in a lot. Then we know in the parable of the talents that the guys who were faithful in a little got cities to rule over. What Jesus is looking for is people that can understand how to manage his stuff. Uh, I, I was talking to a business professor at a Christian college uh, lately, uh, recently in an email exchange, and she said something really cool. She said, I tell my students, we will not need preachers or missionaries in heaven, but we need lots of business people. I like that a lot. I just said, it's the new earth, though. It's the new earth. Yeah, because there's going to be a lot of enterprise in the new earth and a lot of stewardship that needs to happen. And God's looking for who are my stewards going to be. And I, he's going to find out from who's faithful with a little. Verse 11, therefore, if you've not been faithful in just plain old unrighteous money, money's money, if you can't be faithful with just stinky little money, who's going to commit you true riches? He doesn't say directly what the true riches are, but the inference to me seems to be to care for his people. To care for people. And if you've not been faithful in what's another man's, he'll give you what's your own. No servant can serve two masters. He'll hate the one and love the other, else he'll be loyal to the one to despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. Now the Pharisees have heard these parables, these four parables now, and they heard all these things and they derided him because they're lovers of money. They, they understand what he's saying. He's saying, I care about people more than money. I care about people more than money. I care about people more than money. Use money to help serve people who can't pay you back now because they'll pay you back later. And they said, you're nuts. You don't know what you're talking about. And he turns to the Pharisees now and he said, you are those who justify yourselves before men. Why is it most people want a lot of money? What is it most people want to do with the money? Show off, mainly, isn't it? Isn't it to show off? You want to build a 100,000 square foot house? You know, have you, have you been to giant houses 
I've known a few people that have giant, I mean, compared to people in the rest of the world, all of us have giant houses, right? All of us do. Uh, but I've been to houses I can, you know, a giant house is one that's twice as big as mine, right? Isn't that the way that works? So I've been, so I've been to people that have giant houses and that usually they spend most of their time in some little corner room someplace where they can all cozy up, right? Because most of it's just empty space and uh, you don't even like to be there, but it shows well, you know, you can show it off great. Or the car, I mean, you, you can only drive one car at a time. So why do you need 50? And, and a car is going to get you from point A to point B. Why do you have to have a car that you need three car parking spaces for so you won't get scratched? You know, what, what, what is it that we really do? Well, we want to show off. We want to justify ourselves. See, look at me. I, I have made it. I've, I've, I've arrived. That's mo what most of us want to do. Uh, and, and they justify themselves before men. But God knows your hearts, Jesus says. For what's highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. Whoops. So he wants us to use money wisely. It's not that God's not saying here, get rid of money. Um, he's saying here, money's a means to an end. It's a means for me to find out if you're, if you're willing to be faithful in a little thing. Well, if you use or if I use money to justify myself before men, that is an abomination to God. What's it doing when I justify myself before men with money? What am I doing? I'm substituting approval from God with approval from men that I control. And I'm actually putting myself in God's place. It's idolatry. That's what it is. Well, then he goes on. When he starts beating on the Pharisees, he usually just keeps pounding. Remember, the Pharisees are the religious people. He doesn't talk to sinners like this. The law and the prophets were until John. Since that time, the kingdom of God has been preached. You have heard the kingdom of God preached since John the Baptist showed on the scenes here, Pharisees. And everyone is pressing into it. This term pressing into it is, is imposing upon it, even doing violence to it. And it's easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one tittle of the law to fail. And this is kind of a difficult passage, but here's what I think it's saying. The kingdom has been preached, but you're taking your own thoughts and views and cramming it into the kingdom and perverting it. And then he gives them an example how they did it. Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery, and whoever marries her who's divorced from her husband commits adultery. Well, why does he say that? I think it's because the Pharisees had invented this rule that if your wife displeased you in any way, like burned your meal or something, you could just say, you're divorced, you're divorced, you're divorced, and she's gone, and now you're free to marry again. What they had done is taken this principle from the scripture of oneness and just done violence to it, busted it up. And why would they do that? So, so they could get a prettier wife, a, more, a, a wife that makes them better in the world, a wife that suits their pleasure more uh, better because they are slaves of money and pleasure. 
They've done violence to the kingdom of God. They're not listening to what it's really saying. And Jesus is saying, you're not going to be able to change even one little cross T or dotted I of the law. It's going to stand. And then he tells the fifth sermon. And I think he particularly has the Pharisees in mind. This is a tough one because this is about a rich man who dies. Certain rich man clothed in purple and fine linen fared sumptuously every day and a beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, laid at his gate. How would you like to be the Pharisees hearing this for the first time? And he's talking directly to you. Can you see why they ticked them off? Desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came, licked his sores, so it was the beggar died and was carried by angels to Abraham's bosom. Abraham's bosom was a common term of understanding for where you would go when you die. And the, the Pharisees believe in a resurrection. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torments in Hades. Now, Hades is a well-understood concept from the Greeks and apparently is close enough to Sheol where they, the Jews just took it in and used it. It has two compartments, a compartment for the evil and a compartment for the rich, and it's divided. Sorry? A compartment for the evil and an apartment for the good. Did I say rich? Okay, sorry. All right. We're in big trouble. Yeah, it's good to know. Apartment for the evil, apartment for the good, divided between. And here you've got the the compartment, and he's in Hades in torment. And he lifts up his eyes, looks across the divide, and sees Abraham far off and Lazarus in his bosom. So here's the picture of, uh, uh, of the evil and the good. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. I'm tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son. Now this son here is a very interesting word. It's the word technon. Technon is the word for child. When the innocents were slaughtered in Bethlehem, it quotes a verse and says, Rachel was mourning for her children. It's technon. So this is a term of endearment here. Child. So Abraham is acknowledging you're, you're my child. Remember that in your lifetime you received your good things and Lazarus evil things, but now he's comforted and you're tormented. And besides all this, between us there's a great gulf fix, so those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor those who can pass to us. And he said, Beg you therefore, Father, you'd send him, Lazarus, to my father's house, for I have five brothers that he may testify them, lest they also come to this place of torment. And Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. He said, no, Father Abraham, but if one goes from the dead, they'll repent. But he said to them, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. And of course, the one who's rising from the dead is the one telling the story to the people here who are the rich men that are treating the poor who they complained about. Remember the poor people? Why are you complaining? Or, or sorry, the sinners. And he's saying, you're, you're disinterest in these poor people who are spiritually impoverished and you're not giving them even the crumbs from your table. You're this rich man. And you're doing violence to the kingdom and you're not even listening to Moses yourself. Now, the disciples hear all this 
And he says to the disciples in 17, it's impossible that no offenses should come. I read this same verse last week in Abraham Lincoln's uh, second inaugural address. But woe to him through whom they come. It'd be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he was thrown into the sea than he should offend one of these little ones. See, again, it's the people that matters. How you treat people is how I treat people. That's what really matters. Take heed to yourselves. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. Now, they just heard all this whole thing about the steward and shrewdness and uh, how they should treat others. And now they heard rich man and Lazarus. And now they're being told directly that they could have a millstone tied around their neck. And do you think they understood the point? Because the apostles say to the Lord in verse 5, Lord, increase our faith. And I imagine it was like, Lord, increase our faith. Because the way the Jews are hearing this story, this is all available to them. Now, we can reinterpret this in light of what we know today if we care to. But I'm just telling you, historically, this, purg- this is a purgatory type of picture here. Purgatory was the accepted way that afterlife happened until 1500s. You got 1500 years. And the Jews today still think of it this way, that there's this time when if evil on earth is purged. It's interesting that uh, the 99 thesis for was mainly about sale of indulgences, which was a way to get out of purgatory. So they, they developed this whole elaborate kooky system where you could avoid being the rich man in this picture by your relatives paying money to the priests, to the church. And a lot of big cathedrals got built off of that scheme, which was a scam. And the reformers appropriately said, this is corrupt, it has to stop. It was so corrupt that one of the 99 thesis points is you should not teach people to give their money to free their relatives from uh, purgatory if it causes you to not have enough money to feed your children. There were actually people impoverishing themselves in order to do this. That's how strongly people believe this. And the it's interesting in, in modern uh, evangelical Christianity, we still have a version of this, the judgment seat of Christ, and we have all these same words, fire and burning and wood, hay and stubble and gold, silver, precious stones. But somehow we make it where, oh, but it doesn't hurt and there's no pain and it just lasts for a second. And I'm just telling you, you work through it yourself, but there's no guarantee of that. And what he's talking about in this is repentance in this passage. Now, what the, what, the, what the apostles come up and say, increase our faith. And the Lord says, you don't need your faith increased. You only need enough faith as big as a mustard seed, which is a tiny little thing. What you need to do is exercise the faith you have. And then he tells one more parable to, make, to drive the point home. And he says, the servants who do what they're told to do at the end of the day, should say, verse 10, so likewise, when you've done all those things you were commanded, you don't need more faith, you need a more obedience. And when you've done all those things you're commanded, say, we're unprofitable servants. Unprofitable. So we can't get away from money here, can we? We're unprofitable servants because we've only done our duty. 
We've only done our duty. So the picture that emerges from all this is true happiness comes from obedience. And obedience goes beyond just what we're told. It goes to a complete and total commitment to do what God's asked us to do that goes beyond just, just mere uh, adherence. And that's where true happiness and true riches come. And the means to true riches is learning how to use whatever we have to bless others. It is a hard thing to do to bless people with money. Why? Most people are not grateful. And if you give them money, it makes their life worse, not better. So there's a, there's a requirement of shrewdness here to know how to use money in a way that blesses others. I'll tell you some ways that I have tried to use money to bless others. Number one, create jobs. You know, there's nothing that teaches people about money better than a, a really good job where there's cause and effect and consequences. When people just get given money, it usually hurts them. Number two, experiences. Experiences can be small or big. Trips can be a trip, can be a meal, can be uh, an excursion. Partnerships. There's all kinds of ways to associate with people. Sports leagues, schools, classes, church activities, charitable activities, enterprises, mission trips, uh, specific enterprises that address some kind of evil and try to make something that's bad good. Uh, this can be government and inclu could include that. Hospitality. Hospitality is a great way to share your stuff. Boy, if you open up your premises to other people, they'll, uh, they'll take advantage of it. Some are grateful. Some are not. Some are careful with your stuff. Some are not. Um, all of it is a way to train our hearts to care about other people. You know, materialism is that which defines happiness on acquiring something you don't already have. If we allow that to be our definition of happiness, we will never be happy because happiness then by definition is based on what I don't have. And it means I can't enjoy what I do have. And if we understand true riches and use our money to do things that bless other people, whether they look at that way or not, and we're, when we're looking at how can, I, how can I navigate myself where I'm actually helping and, and, and blessing other people, then what we're actually doing is embracing Jesus's point here, that true riches comes from being faithful from the little thing that God has given us to bless other people. And when we bless other people, they may not view it that way. But it doesn't matter. What matters is what they're going to see in the eternal home. What matters is, are we being faithful to the commands that God has given us? What matters is, who are we serving? God or money? Because that's our two choices. Lord, thank you for this amazing set of parables. And God, uh, just like the disciples prayed, increase our faith, I'm inclined to do likewise. But I think what you want us to do is say, God, help me be a better servant. And not only do just what you tell me to do, but embrace these principles and go beyond that and do what 
you would do if if you were in our place, that we might have your heart completely, Lord, toward other people. Not to have them say thank you to us now necessarily, although they might, but to have them invest in them in such a way that we're bettering them and giving them the opportunity to know you and to learn the things that you have for us. God, I, um, we are unprofitable servants. We are um, not shrewd. But Lord, I just pray that you give us wisdom to make us profitable servants and make us shrewd. Each day we may grow. In Christ's name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Yellow Balloons podcast. If you want more information on adopting a God-centered perspective, visit our website at yellowballoons.net. And if you have any questions related to what you just heard, we would love to hear from you. Please email us at contact at yellowballoons.net. Thanks for listening.